I'd like uh, for our scriptures tonight, <clears throat> we'll cover everything from Genesis to Revelation as a rule, but uh, we'll have a starting point in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. <clears throat> and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this to judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sin of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's on. Okay. My wife is saying, not loud enough. See, I don't get a chance to practice loud at all, except, yes, ma'am. Uh, you know how that goes. Uh, we've been married 104 years, it seems like. Uh, half that to her. I guess we have a subject matter called the second coming of Christ. Uh, this is a message of friends uh, because we are friends because of what Christ has done. He's done it for us whether we deserve it or not. Uh, he saved us. He's promised to come again and receive us unto himself that where we may be, he will be also. Oh, God, how we should count him a friend, closer than a brother. When we think of brothers, brethren, uh, we think sometimes we can be close, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, my brother passed away uh, in the last year, and uh, we were never close as children. Uh, but we became closer in later years. And, and the burden of my heart is not knowing whether his final decision was one for Christ or one not for Christ. Now, if you have that uncertainty, then we have to sometimes depend upon the grace of God, who knows better than we do. He made a statement that he wanted to walk with the Lord uh, in the fields. Uh, being ignorant of spiritual things, maybe that was a hint. But I'm looking for the second coming of our Lord Jesus. He came the first time to pay the price for my sin. He's coming again that I might be like him, that I'll be resurrected into a new body and ushered into the presence of an almighty God. When we think of uh, <clears throat> the second coming, it's a special occasion sometime in the future. If it's happened in the past, we are in trouble. But we look forward to that special occasion. And when we think of special occasions, I'm prone to think of some special occasions I've uh, had or endured in the past. Some good and some bad. Some in the middle. I guess we remember when we bought automobiles for $2,000 and paid 25 cents a gallon for the gas to run them. They didn't care anything about the horsepower or how much they would use. I've got a truck I drive... That when it's good, it's getting about six or seven miles a gallon of gas. Uh, but when it was made in 1980-something, my first new car was a 1969 Chevy Nova, two-door, painted gold. I went to East Point Chevrolet. I said, this is what I want. They said, wait two weeks and we'll have it for you. They built it right over there at the Lakewood plant. That was a special occasion for me when I drove that car uh, out of the uh, dealer showroom. But there are other things that I remember, 
And when we're gathered together, we'll have a tendency to remember things that were important to us, may not have been important to anyone else. Uh, I remember that uh, JFK said he was going to put a man in space, and he did. Uh, we remember the name of the first guy who did a suborbital flight. I remember that. What? Why do I remember things like that when I don't know what I had for breakfast? Right? Alan Shepard. And there was a lot of uh, correspondence about this shepherd. And the spiritual people were talking about another shepherd. We made, uh, uh, if you made $15,000, it was a living wage. Uh, you can make more than that staying home and drawing welfare today. Uh, how many, I, I'm just going to ask, I'm not going to raise your hand, but this business of clickers, you know, and it clicks on the television. Uh, we go back to the television and they had two dials, <laughs> one for the regular and one for the ultra high frequency. And if you wanted to change the channel, you had to get up from where you were and go click the thing. And then you usually had to mess around with the horizontal hold because of click. We don't do that anymore. Now we sit down, we click. And when I was in the parking lot and some lady uh, uh, clicked and the horn went beep, beep. And I thought she was flirting with me, but that wasn't the case. She's just trying to open the door. <laughs> oh, well. My dad was born in a house. I'm not sure whether it was a, uh, uh, the doctor came or whether it was a midwife. They born a house up there in East Point. Uh, which since has been torn down and made part of the Pittsburgh plate, paint, glass, whatever it is, company, where it was. I have, my mother gave to me, the hospital bill for when I was born. $28 for a week. Uh, that's including the nursery, including my mama, and all of the meals and everything went with it. You don't do that anymore. The uh, fact is, when my children were born, uh, this may be the case, and I'm, I've got uh, my youngest son and his wife here tonight. Uh, when they were born, what we did for this special occasion, wife went to see the doctor every month, and she gave him $35, and $35, and after about seven months, the $35 added up to a whole lot of money. And then it was $250 flat rate for the hospital fib. Oh, now, we don't, we don't do that anymore either. Uh, it's really a special occasion today, uh, paying hospital bills. But what we need to think about as we look around us is that we're living history in the midst of history. Now, today will be tomorrow's history, and tomorrow will be the next day's history. And should Jesus not come until next week, these last few days shall be history. But we can look back in our history. I can look back in the things that were important to me. Uh, I remember some other things that were kind of strange. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Oh my. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Uh, the shadow knows. Now they've changed that around, made it a little bit racially motivated. Uh, 
But when I was at school, I raced home from school to get there so I could listen to Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. And we listened to Mandrake, the magician, who would do some kind of suspended animation and nobody could see him. We thought that was pretty good. Radio required a lot of thought, a lot of imagination. And today, we don't have to imagine anything. Everything that we thought was terrible, they put right on the television at, ter- at prime time. Well, you wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with... Now, some of these young folks have no idea what I'm talking about. Old guys now, the preacher probably doesn't know. You wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. Oh, that sounds reasonable to me. Uh, LSMFT. Remember what that was? I know that Hugo does. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And where did Lucky Strike Green go? Lucky Strike Green went to war, and they came out with a new package that was white. In fact, if you've got a Lucky Strike Green package, I think they're somewhat collectible today. Not that we would be interested in anything that's that collectible. Everything that comes along, we, we don't seem to enjoy what's happening today. I'm just delighted that I'm here today. And my health is better than average for a guy that's 50 years old already. Lies a lot. But health is important to us. And we do what we can to preserve our health. We do our best to maintain good health. We try not to do the things that are harmful to our bodies. We don't see this a whole lot today, but when I was first saved, I wondered about it, because I smoked myself at time. But the purpose of having time between Sunday school and church was that all the guys could gather out in the front porch and have a cigarette before the preaching started. Don't see that today. That's good. It's good for two reasons. It's disrespectful to the house of God, and it's harmful to the bodies of those who are puffing away. Well, we would go on a lot of these things. Uh, Some of them important, some not important. Special occasions are okay. And we are living our our history today. But you know, there was a period they called the silent years. Some 400 years between the last word of the Old Testament and the first words of the New Testament. We'll have sometimes, if we get in our Bible, we'll look through that little gap and it'll have a whole page of information leading to uh, the Old Testament coming into the New Testament. And the people in the Old Testament were looking for this Messiah that had been promised way back, promised way back in the book of Genesis. Hmm. And when he came, they didn't accept him as he was. Some knew. I, I love the part where where Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. He that he has within her own body sensed what God had done for her. She knew that the Messiah had come. Well, there were a lot of things that happened. I, I tell you what, that's good study this, to look into those 400 years. But there were two, I think, main events that happened in the 400 silent years. One was Greece was uh, strong 
and the language became accepted, and we have our New Testament written in New Testament Greek, though much of the words were spoken in Aramaic. And then the Roman people, what did they do? Oh, they just built roads so that the Paul could go from place to place on Roman roads. They used to say that all roads lead to Rome. One of the roads led to Rome for Paul. But until then, everything was dusty, dirty, riddled roads. And, but the Roman roads were placed, and the purpose was so that they could rush their army from one place to another should there be a rebellion. <clears throat> well, when the Scriptures tell us in John, the first chapter, that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Are we not fortunate to be these several hundred years, hundreds of years later, that we have learned that the one who was promised all through the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the person of our Christ, our Savior? Today, folks speak lightly of his first coming, the first advent. Some go poo-poo when they start talking about the second coming though the scriptures will say that he's coming again. And I've read somewhere where uh, the, the word uh, the, the, about the second coming is found in every 20 verses it's mentioned in the, in the New Testament. Maybe so, I don't know. I haven't counted. I do a lot of counting when I get my Strong's Concordance out and see how many times the word is written. But someone else has already done the work. All I need to do is uh, be kind of like a monkey and cubby. But some thinks the second coming of Christ is foolish, that it's absurd, that it's not really a Bible doctrine, it's non-essential, and they start talking about the first coming rather than the second coming. If I had the tongue or the tongues of angels trying to describe what Christ has done for me, I'd not be able to speak. I cannot describe the cross sufficiently as it breaks the heart of God. It should break my heart as well. Angels may be able to. Heavenly beings may be able to. But when I think of the cross, and I think that men took him who had done no harm to anyone, and they nailed him to the cross, spread his hands to the side, nailed his feet, pierced him with a and just crucified him. Why? Well, the reason he did is because you're all a bunch of sinners. Like it or not, I'm in, I'm in the group. God loved us so much he gave his only begotten son. Have you seen the signs at the, at the ball games? John 3.16. That's a good testimony. By now, folks know what the words mean, but they may not have it into their heart as to what Christ has really done uh, himself. But we are limited, I am, emotionally, Theologically, education-wise, I just can't describe how much the Holy Spirit of God
has done to me. Uh, there's, there's a word in the New Testament called a, a, atonement. The Greek word means to uh, restore to divine favor. It's only mentioned once. And some have said it could easily well be reconciliation as well as uh, atone, uh, atonement. But we have had our sins washed away. They have been atoned for in the person of Jesus Christ in his first coming. Our Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself and to the Father. He's reconciled the law of the Old Testament. He's reconciled the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. He's reconciled God's justice and God's mercy and God's grace and God's hatred for sin. All, all of these things are being said, told in this business of atonement. Hmm. If, if that's so important, why is it only mentioned once? We have this understanding about the Word of God. <clears throat> if it's mentioned one time, or if it's mentioned hundreds of times, it's just as important to us and to God's instruction. Now, when we start speaking of these special occasions, Genesis speaks of the cosmos, the wonders of God's creation. God speaks in the book of Genesis about man being made from the dust of the earth and God breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. These are special occasions that we just run through them without thinking about how wondrous our God is. But our God made a perfect Eden and he put in there a perfect Adam and a perfect Eve yet they couldn't stand the perfection. Though it was made to satisfy God, sin entered in the person of the serpent. And you know, people will say, well, why did God do that? Why, why did God do all of that and then let Satan come in and spoil this wonderful place? I'm going to say one thing about it. I don't have the mind of God. I don't know exactly why. But I do know some things that point to why. Because God could express his love to us by showing the world and everyone that he loved us so much even in our, our sinful condition. Our sinful condition is not any better than was Adam's and Eve. They were sinners. Plain, plain sinners. But we're told there in the book of Genesis, when they fell, is that Satan would bruise the heel of our Savior, fulfilled in his crucifixion. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, we have a panoramic view of what God 
has done, is doing, and shall do about this person of Satan and those who follow him and those who follow his son, Jesus Christ. There were certain and multiple occasions in the Old Testament where we have the record of these special occasions. In Genesis 19, we find that Lot was a careless fellow. As a preacher said this morning, a brother-in-law of Abraham. In Luke, the 17th chapter, we are told about the day that the Son of Man shall be revealed. Abraham and Isaac, some 2,000 years ago, took a three-day journey to the place that God told them to go. And Abraham, this friend of God, was so convinced that God would handle the situation as it was, he told his followers, my son Isaac, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, that we shall return. We'll come again. And he did. 2,000 years thereabouts later, God's son was whisked away physically when they crucified him and he died. And they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And he who knew no sin, he who was pure love, accepted the task that was his. Joseph in the Old Testament takes a bride from among the Gentiles. Aren't we glad? Lest the gospel message would have only been included to the Jews. But of course it included to all. But back in the days of Jesus, Gentiles were looked as worse than dogs. The Gentiles were worse than anything they could imagine. We are God's chosen people. And therefore, therefore Gentiles were a lesser being. But we have the record in the word of God that the gospel message was open to Gentiles and to whosoever. David, this, this man who uh, was a man after God's own heart and sinned terribly, he coveted him another man's wife. He found illicit carnal intercourse with her. He sent her husband off to be in the front line of battle so that he might be killed to conceal the fact that he was so wretched a person. Yet, David and the book of Psalms uh, speaks about the bridegroom cometh. He cometh with his ten thousands, and then we say there's sadness now, but there'll be joy in the morning. Hmm. Isaiah tells us that we should take our swords and into plowshares and our Spears into pruning hooks. And we see the comparison to this in the book of Revelation. But 
All through, all through the Old Testament, we see this teaching and preaching and looking forward to the occasion of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Micah announces that the war shall cease. Zechariah tells us that he'll be coming all his saints. Malachi tells us also about the second coming. When we read the parables of Jesus in the book of Matthew, we find that our Savior himself was talking about coming again. In John 14, we're told this one who was crucified and tried and crucified says, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren. He wants us to know the things that are important to us. At the time of the ascension, when they were waiting to see what was going to be happening, uh, the angels said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye there looking up the same Jesus as taking from you will become again in like manner and receive you unto himself? I think the doctrine of the resurrection is important to us because it tells us that these frail bodies, these bodies that don't work the way they, we want them to, will be made whole and new. And when we see people who are uh, not able to do all the things uh, that a stronger, younger person can do, we realize that there'll be a time when we'll all be the same. When, when Peter and John, outside the gate at the temple called Beautiful, <clears throat> the man asked them for an alms. And they're their answer to that question was silver and gold. Have I none but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Hmm. The promise was by their acceptance of Jesus Christ, he could walk again. The promise of the New Testament is that those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as a personal savior will again one day be like him. We'll be ushered into his presence. We'll be there with loved ones who've gone on before, looking forward to the time of meeting with them again. I think one of the great, great people of the New Testament was Stephen. Uh, they were stoning him. And he says that he could look and see. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said almost the same words about laying not the sin to these people that charge. Paul spoke to the Romans about the creation groaning and travailing even till now. At Corinth they were told about uh, they were not behind in any of the gifts that other churches had. Philippians said he's coming to change our limited bodies into new bodies. Colossians said he who is our life shall appear. In Paul's first letter to Thessalonians, when he comes, he will bring the dead with him. He will come as a thief in the night. And 2 Timothy tells us a crown will be given not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. What is this crown business and talking about it in the judgments in the, in the book of Hebrews? Titus tells us that the second coming of Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. Peter said, rejoice in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. James said, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And John writes a whole book 
about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are told that in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, he shall appear. When he breaks forth from the eastern sky, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds uh, in the air. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. Thinking of those who are uh, who love ones who've already gone on to be with the Lord. I had an experience a number of years ago with one of the deacons in the church where I was serving at that time. Uh, his, his mother, uh, an elderly woman way up in her 90s, faithful and honest to the Lord for years. And she was up at Patterson's, was there at Cascade Heights. I don't know what they call it now, but H.M. Patterson was, and they had her, not in the casket, but they had her laid out in what they called a reposing room. She laid in a bed. I'd never seen that before or since. And the thing about it, you see, is that the loved ones who were remaining said, Mama is just like she'll be later, except she'll be whole and she'll be right and the disease will be gone. Is that not a promise to the child of God today that when Jesus comes and he's told us that we're going to be like him, we should be looking for this soon coming of the Savior of the world. We should be looking to him for his coming again to claim us. I had an experience. I had a lot of experiences. Some worth telling, some are not. I mentioned this to a few people the other day when we were talking about... uh, elevators, and some people are a little bit concerned about being elevators because they're so small and they don't like being closed up. Uh, When my daughter was born, at the fifth floor at Georgia Baptist Baptist Hospital, where most of the Southsiders were born at the time, uh, in the maternity ward, went to visit her. This is 1957. Shut up. 1957. Visiting hours were over at 8.30. We all went into the elevator on the fifth floor, pushed a button to go down to the first floor. Now, we got to the second floor, and the elevator, all by itself, decided to turn around and go up. I was a dumb new Christian. What did I know? I'd only been saved a few years. I thought Jesus had come and everybody in the elevator is going to meet him in the air. That's all right. It turned out the elevator was faulty, and it got up to the top and got stuck, and we had to do all kinds of things to get out of it. But it needs to be that real to me today. That real that if I step in an elevator and it goes right up through the roof, that's how Jesus has done it, whatever. But his second coming should be real to us. We should expect to see him in the eastern sky. We should be able to hear the angels rejoicing and crying out because of this one who loved us, gave himself for us, and promised to come again to receive him, receive us unto himself. Mm. But we act like it's never going to happen. Oh, I'm not talking about us specifically, but I'm talking about the world in general, and the church maybe a little bit more in general. If he came the first time, and Eve in the first, uh, when her firstborn came, 
She says, I have received a man from the Lord. I believe that she was expecting the Messiah that was promised to come right then and there, but it wasn't him. It turned out to be a rascal. It should be so real to us that Jesus is coming that we should be preparing our hearts for that coming. If we've never met him as a personal Savior, we should make that decision that we'll be a part of the family of God. That when Jesus calls, we'll go. And we who are saved ought not to be looking for the ball game tomorrow or next week or worry about work tomorrow or worry about having a, a garden plan. Those are all things that we do kind of inside. The important thing we should be doing within our hearts, with our lives, is to look for and to expect Him to come and take us into His presence. Paul's letters to First, first and Second Thessalonians will give us all of the doctrine that we need, I think, about the second coming of Christ. I believe that's going to happen. I, a lot of folks don't believe that, but I do. And I trust that in the scope of your own understanding, that you also will say, I'm looking for his coming. A great, a great, a great occasion. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that the promise of the word of God is that you would save us when we come to you. I'm thankful for the promise of the word of God that we'll be like him one day. In the moment in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. I'm thankful, Lord, that you loved us and that you came at the behest of the Father, but only because you were willing. I'm rejoicing in my heart, though painful it may be, that you loved me, and if there was no one else in the world, you died for my sin. That we might all say the same thing, to have within our hearts Christ as a Savior and looking for his second coming with rejoicing that we shall be changed, we shall be with him, we shall rejoice on streets of gold with loved ones who have gone on before, but most of all, we'll see Jesus. Father, I thank you for what you've done. And I pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Amen. Brother, should we stand here? If there is a decision to be made, our pastor will receive whatever it might be. My job is just to proclaim the truth tonight. His is to continue to be a pastor. God bless you.